Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast. We're here as usual to answer questions about Buddhist practice and the application of Buddhist teachings in daily life. So if you have questions of concern for you, not just curiosity or intellectual theory, but for practical application in your life, now's the time to ask those questions. So we'll spend the first 15 minutes collecting questions and spending the rest of the 15 minutes when you've asked your question in silent meditation. So I'll be back at 15 minutes after the hour. Uh, let's say 20 minutes after the hour to begin answering questions.
All right, we're back 20 minutes after the hour. So from here on, we'll ask that the chat be reserved for questions only. If you have any questions remaining, you can still post them in the chat at any time, anytime during the broadcast. But everything else will just be removed from the chat. So once you've asked your question, just close your eyes. Pay attention. If you want to pay attention to the talk, you can pay attention to the talking. If you want to pay attention to your experiences otherwise, and go ahead. Stay mindful. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. When can someone see with direct knowledge sensuality as painful? I can grasp somehow that sensuality is also painful intellectually, but still perceive it as pleasant. I find very difficult in a practical way to detach from it and see for what it really is. When I note liking, I know that I crave it, and it is dangerous, but still when pleasant feelings arise, I perceive them as good. So sensuality will never be painful, uh, not literally painful. You might call it dukkha, but that just means it's unsatisfying. And when you cling to it, of course, is a cause for, for actual pain and suffering. I mean, intellectually, you can grasp how the more you uh, strive after and, and even obtain sensuality, the more suffering is going to come to you. But it can never directly be painful. That's why it's not really highly... Um, chastised or blamed. That's what makes it the most hard to deal with. Well, I mean, delusion is the hardest to deal with, but that's the underlying point. What's going to change your perception of it as good is uh, the absence of delusion, the clarity. So you can't focus on trying to deal with or fix sensuality. You have to understand that that's not the point. And why it's hard sometimes to understand is because in daily life it's just overwhelming. In, in ordinary life, outside of a meditation course, it's going to be overwhelming. So you'll find yourself constantly falling back and failing. So you can't look at it as trying to fix that. Um, you have to look at mindfulness as helping you understand and see more clearly and get a better perspective. It's not going to directly end sensual desire, sensual pleasure. The only way you can do that, I mean, over the long term it does, but if you want to see real results, both on the short-term uh, temporary level and on the, um, well, let's say the short-term uh, uh, permanent level, you have to do intensive practice. Otherwise, it's going to be a long-term battle. When you're practicing in daily life, you have to take it in perspective and understand that mindfulness really doesn't have that power and isn't, I mean, there's nothing that really has that power to do away with these things, to um, directly confront them. You have to confront delusion. And when you see clearly, it's not so much that you'll see it as painful, it's that you'll see it as, as meaningless. I mean, pleasure isn't good, it isn't bad but there's nothing good about it. And that's what's hard to see that, that you should eventually see. Not that, not that it's bad or not that it's painful, but that it's not valuable. There's no benefit to it. You have to change the way you look at pleasure, not, not seeing the 
sensuality is painful, but change the way you look at pleasure. Pleasure is, it just is. And like everything else, you should see it objectively. That's the key that's hard to understand in mindfulness. It's pretty simple, but it's hard really in the beginning to understand is that you're really trying to just see everything objectively because we're constantly looking for what's bad, what's the problem? What is it that I should try to get rid of? Trying to fix things. You constantly have to remind yourself, oh, it's, it's really just to, to see things as they are. Everything, even the bad stuff, even the quote-unquote bad stuff, even greed, anger, delusion, all of these things, just to see them as they are. You have to let wisdom do its job. To let the clarity do the job of eradicating the bad things itself. I mean, it just loses interest in them. That's the point. You'll lose interest in sensuality. You'll, you'll get bored of it because you'll see how incessant and unsatisfying it is. You can't see that without mindfulness. While practicing the meditation taught, we say thinking, thinking when thoughts arise. But the process of us saying thinking inside our heads actually creates more thinking, saying the word in our heads. So, while thinking, shouldn't we just stay silent and watch the process while it takes place? Well, your premise is that thinking is a, is a, is a bad thing. Um, that's what you're not saying. And it's wrong to say it creates more thinking. It creates thinking, but doesn't create more thinking. Because without doing it without practicing meditation at all there's other thinking what it creates is clear thought the saying the word is uh, is reminding yourself and yes it's something added meditation is an added activity this is what mantra meditation is all about i mean the, the, the interesting thing about i mean we get these kinds of questions similar questions to this on the same topic and there's always this doubt about using a word because somehow it's interfering but i mean it, it really i think comes down to how mundane the words are because mantra meditation is given a pass if you say if you sit there and say buddho buddho nobody's going to say oh you're you're thinking you know you're you're if you say the buddha's name it's very common in thailand but as soon as you get people to say rising falling they're like what the heck are you doing you're adding a word you're 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 doing. You, there's no reason for that. And this is this is wrong practice. This is just intellectualizing, creating thought, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's not. It's it's the same practice. My teacher used to say, the problem with rising and falling is people don't want to say it because it's not the name of the Buddha. Well, that's in Thailand because people are very comfortable saying the name of the Buddha, and they'll find all sorts of excuses. They, they'll say often, Maitanat. It's something I heard constantly whenever I tried to teach this to Thai people. Maitanat, which means, it means I'm not, um, it, it's not for me. It's like in English we would say, it's not for me. It doesn't work for me. We, we hear Western meditators say this is all, it just doesn't work for me. Really bad thing to say. That's not a good reason not to do something. It's not a, a defense of this thing in particular, but there. You can't, it's not an excuse to say something is not for me. To say it, it just doesn't work for me, it's not my cup of tea. Because enlightenment is not, of course, our cup of tea. Our cup of tea is sensuality, it's, it's anger, it's arrogance, it's rebirth, it's constant 
drowning ourselves in samsara. That's our cup of tea. That's what is uh, for us. That's that's what we are accustomed. That's what we are tanat. Tanat means this this word that means it's what I'm, uh, what is comfortable for me, or what is what is for me, kind of thing. So you have to appreciate that meditation is always going to take you out of your comfort zone. It's meant to change you. And there's nothing weird or strange or radical about saying rising, falling, or saying thinking. It's just the adaptation of mantra meditation for the practice of mindfulness. I mean, this is how mindfulness arises, by reaffirming the perception. So it's called tirasanya. This is what it's called the proximate cause of sati, is tirasanya. This is in the ancient texts. Tirasanya, sanya is the recognition when you recognize, oh, this is me seeing, or this is thinking, or this is pain, or something. We all recognize that. You don't have to say it. So when you say oh, you're adding something, right? Of course, yes, that's a good observation, because why do I have to say it? I already know it. Shouldn't I just sit there and, and know it? The clarity requires some strength. You, you can do, do that, but that's ordinary knowing. The commentary says, I mean, dogs know that they're walking. Dogs know that they're in pain. The knowing of the, that you're in pain is, is not the issue. You have to strengthen that. You have to, uh, technically, you have to focus your mind on just that in order to um, prevent the other thinking. So when you say more thinking, I challenge that. I say it's not more thinking, it's different thinking. When you say thinking to yourself, you are preventing the other thinking, which would be, oh yeah, this is a good thought, or this is a bad thought, or this thought means this, means more, means all sorts of things. Instead, you say no, what that is, is that's thinking. And that reifies, or, or emphasizes, or augments the original perception, which nullifies it and, and uh, neutralizes it. That's the whole point. I mean, it's quite a simple process. It's the same sort of thing that happens when you say buddho, buddho. The problem with buddho, buddho is that, uh, practically speaking, it's a, it's a conceptual thing. You're thinking of the Buddha person, right? And that's never going to help you see three characteristics because the object isn't impermanent, it isn't suffering, it isn't non-self. When you say rising, falling, or when you say thinking, it is all three of those things. And so you're going to see that. You're going to see the nature of reality. It's a common question, sort of question that we get, but it's it's misguided. I mean, it's it's understandable. It's very quite common, but it really is just because nobody wants to say thinking. There's nothing special about that. If it was the name of the Buddha, oh yes, or if it was Om or something like that, some magical thing, people would be very happy to do it. They are happy to do it, but as soon as you get people to say thinking, thinking, what the heck am I doing? They're not really as comfortable with it. When meditating, is it okay to shift posture as if your leg falls asleep? Or you find yourself slumping a bit, and is it normal to have these things happen? So we're not concerned with what is normal. You have to understand it's okay whatever happens. or It's not a question of whether it's okay. It is what's happened. So there, there's... See, because that kind of thinking 
relates to should I fix it and how do I fix it? And that's not the attitude you want to take in mindfulness. So something being okay, something being normal is not uh, the right well, asking, sorry, you're you're asking about okay, is is it okay to do this or do that? that? That's a valid question. So, yes, it is okay. I mean, it still applies that it's not really a question of it being okay. If you shift your posture, say to yourself, shifting. If you want to shift your posture, say wanting, wanting. And it can happen that when you say wanting, you don't actually shift. And I'm not saying that means shifting is bad. That, that's the whole point. Things should not be seen as bad, good, okay, not okay, normal, not normal. I mean, for the, there, there are technical ways you should practice and shouldn't practice, but they're pretty basic. Things like shifting your posture, uh, the point, the, the, what you should do and what it is necessary to do is note, again, when you want and when you do shift your posture. Uh, but when your leg falls asleep, you don't have to shift. I mean, it's not a good idea to shift your posture. I mean, it's not the the right practice or something like that. Not to say it's wrong if you do. But when your leg falls asleep, the most important thing is that you note that feeling, or you, if you don't feel anything, just say knowing, knowing. If you're slumping, that you note that. If you feel the tension in the back or pain as a result, that you note that. And if you shift, just try to say wanting to shift, and then shifting or moving. Normal's not, normal's not a thing because samsara doesn't have a normal. Samsara is unpredictable. Experience is unpredictable. So... Rather than try and try and rather than orienting yourself around what is normal, try and orient yourself simply around what is. It is like that. That's all I can say. That's all that's important. What I should do is note the way it is, and try and note those those analysis analysis or analyzing. Is this right? Is it wrong? Try and note those thoughts, worry or doubt or that sort of thing. I often experience fear of missing out. For example, many people I know went to an event I didn't go to this weekend. I'm trying to be mindful, but I'm still emotionally triggered. Any advice? Yeah, it's the same with the the, the sensuality question. Um, so mindfulness isn't about stopping the emotions. It's about seeing them and understanding them. And the fact that you see that you can't control them is... A sign that it's working. It's not working when suddenly you can control everything. That's not the goal. That's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is, you first of all, you're going to see that these things are out of your control. They're unwieldy. They're unmanageable. And seeing that makes you hesitant in the future, hesitant to give rise to those things. Your mind is more wary, more cautious, less inclined to give rise to them. Because your mind was like, this is the answer. I should get really upset about this and really um, sad about this. This is what your mind was thinking was a good idea. And being mindful helps you see that well, that wasn't a very good idea because it's unmanageable. It's, it's out of control and it causes you stress and suffering. So you're just showing your mind that. It's, you'd think, well, I already know that it's bad, but no, you don't. If you're giving rise to it deep down, I mean, on a, on a basic level, you don't yet know that it's bad for you, not to the extent that you need. I am able to see and hear spirits and other beings for a long time. I try to acknowledge this too, but it is not as easy as acknowledging normal things in life, and I cannot tell this to other people. 
Do you have any advice? Yes, um, another part of the practice. Easy and hard are not really um, meaningful. Well, I mean, I appreciate, we, it, it's important to appreciate that things can be very hard, but that doesn't change the practice. That doesn't mean something more needs to be done. This means more of the same needs to be done. You need more practice on the hard things. Challenge. It's going to be challenging. Don't be discouraged when the practice is challenging. It, it will be. You should expect it to be challenging unless you're a pure being with great uh, karma and great past life merit. It's going to be really tough. Anybody who's made it this long in samsara without becoming enlightened and missed the Buddha and is now in the dregs of the Buddha sasana, it's going to have a hard time. So you have to appreciate that. But don't be discouraged by that. That's 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 to be expected. It's meant to challenge you. So be patient with it. And and the problem is we we separate things into normal. You you make the word normal, normal and special. And sometimes special means things that we can't deal with through meditation. We can't apply mindfulness to. And there's no such thing. And there should be no distinction. That's a, probably, I would say, a bad distinction. You should not make that distinction. Normal, abnormal, uh, special, normal, that sort of thing. It's all going to be experience. You seeing and hearing spirits is actually still just seeing sights and hearing sounds. It's not special in any way. It still is just seeing images and hearing sounds. So it's not any different from any other experience. The thing is, the mind, of course, makes much more out of it, and, and reasonably so, but that's the perspective that you want to change through meditation practice. You want to be able to see things as ordinary or, or as simple. Seeing is just seeing, hearing is just hearing. It's a very important part of the practice. How can we progress in our meditation practice as fast as possible? And what should we do if we feel like our progress is stagnated, except noting it? Well, the question you ask, I have to suggest that you might be succumbing to some sort of greed. So it's not a bad question on the face of it, but you have to ask yourself, are you craving or, or yearning or or stressing about how fast it's going? Because those sorts of things actually make it slower and make it harder. You can't, there, there's no specific way to increase the speed of your practice except to practice. So practically speaking, that means to do intensive practice, to find a place to do an intensive meditation course. That would be the answer. To practice, but I want to ask your state of mind because even if you do intensive practice, it, you're going to see pretty quick that that state of mind of yearning or wanting for quick results is really going to get in your way. It's a big hindrance. You have to be patient and you have to stop thinking in terms of results. You have to focus on the present and you have to focus on the quality of the present without reference to future results because as soon as you start thinking about what am I going to get out of it? Or wondering what have you gotten out of it? You get caught up in concepts. You lose your mindfulness and you stop progressing. 
And furthermore, you can develop greed and anger and delusion about it, which will really get in your way. So feeling that, that's the first part. The second part, feeling about your progress having stagnated, it's not... Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't concern yourself so much with that. I mean it certainly is possible to stagnate. You can't really get stuck, but stagnate would mean that you are going slow going slowly and it would be because you're getting caught up in other things or don't have time to meditate or or, or just just losing your your impetus to practice even. Um but I guess I would I would say just don't pay too much attention to it. It's not really valuable. Again, it deals with what am I getting out of it? What have I gotten out of it? How am I doing? It's not really your best thing to concern yourself with. You really should concern yourself simply with your experience. Concern yourself with the practice rather than progress. Questions about progress. That my question for you is: Is that what your focus is on progress? Because that's going to be a hindrance, most likely. Not that you can't say to yourself once in a while, am I progressing? And check up on yourself. And it can be useful to help you adjust and say, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm not progressing. And it's because I'm not really noting this and so on. So you might take an opportunity to consider things that you're missing, things that you're ignoring. Take a look at your daily practice and see what you're doing in your daily practice. Kind of take a step back. That can be useful. but. On a more ordinary level or more moment-to-moment uh, -moment basis, you shouldn't be focused on progress. It will just distract you from your actual practice. Meditating for 10 years now, your vipassana in Ajantong tradition. Life has changed totally. It is easy and harmonious. Time goes by fast, but seems as everything is a flow and hard to remember noting, because not much objects, but seems as if I am stuck there, or is that normal development? Well, I can't exactly say how, like it's hard to, to assess your actual practice just from these few words. Uh, again, words like normal aren't really applicable, even for development, because everybody's going to be at their own pace, in their own way, with their own issues. The issues are, the set of issues are all going to be the same, but they're different in level and quantity and composition. Different people have different issues. But, uh, I mean, just on the face of it, so that's all kind of a preface, but on the face of it, I would probably guess that you probably are kind of stagnating. You can't really get stuck, but you kind of stagnate, and it's probably going pretty slow, because usually what happens is you become complacent, and I don't know if you've done intensive courses in, over the past 10 years, how many intensive courses you've done, but really the best way to really progress if you're concerned and, and you really want to go further in this life is to do more intensive courses. They really will open your eyes in a way that uh, ordinary practice often struggles with. Anyway, congratulations. It's great to hear of such things, and I wish you all the best.
In my sitting practice, there seems to only be either restlessness or a dreamlike calmness. Is this a sign that I am cultivating bad habits in meditation, or is it just the way my mind works? Well, it's probably a bit, um, a bit dishonest, not dishonest, a bit, uh, <laughs> I don't want to call you a liar, but you have to be a little bit honest with yourself that um, it's probably not the only thing. I mean, these kind of wordings, why I pick on it is because you have to be careful about creating these narratives. To use language like that can often set yourself, set you up to ignore everything else, because I can guarantee there's more than just restlessness and dreamlike calmness. You probably will admit quite readily that there's more than just those two things. Be careful about language, that you're not convincing yourself that that's all there is and just ignoring everything else, because there will be much more than that. You should review the four satipatthana and see what else there is. There's obviously going to be the body. And you, of course, you should readily, unless you have some strange experiences, you should readily accept that there's going to be physical sensations, right? There's probably pain or pleasure. There's probably thoughts. I mean, when you say restlessness, that probably involves thoughts, right? It can also involve emotions. Calm can be associated with, uh, can be accompanied by liking. So there can be that sort of thing. Um, but the fact that there are these things in great quantities isn't isn't um, isn't something you should be concerned with. It's something you should be focused on. So when those are the predominant things, you should note them. Try and note them until they go away, and then go back to the rising and the falling. Try and go back to a more neutral, more coarse, obvious object. We use the stomach, the stomach rising and falling. Things aren't a sign of anything. That's something you should you should make clear for yourself. Experiences aren't a sign of anything. They are what they are, and that's what you're trying to impress upon yourself by noting. So rather than trying to figure out what something means, try and figure out what it is, and that's enough. Stop there. It's quite simple what it is. It's not a deep, profound question you're asking. What is this? No, it's not deep or profound. It's actually quite simple, and that's the point. When you create this simple awareness, you gain better clarity and better perspective, and you're able to see that, yeah, really, that is all there is. Restlessness doesn't mean anything or isn't a sign of anything. It's just restlessness. Calmness is the same. It isn't profound or meaningful or bad. It just is calm. And you should note calm, calm. I have a history of lying. It reached a stage where I lied even without being fully conscious about it. After hearing the Dhamma, I am trying to change this habit, but I worry it will take time. Do you have advice? Well, note the worry. Um, I mean, if you do actually have worry, and you're not just using that word because we use that word without actually worrying. But um, it's reasonable to appreciate, to assume that any habit deep-set habit especially, is going to take time to change. So my advice would be patience and practice. You know, if you've done our at-home course, come and do an intensive course. If you haven't done our at-home course, hey, try and do that at-home course that we have. Oftentimes, when I'm highly calm in meditation, my body will sporadically jerk. 
Is it okay to just note the disliking afterwards? I don't really know a good word to note the physical experience. We often note physical experiences just as feeling. That's what we use the word feeling for. Feelings, we actually refer to them by their name. Like if you feel calm, you say calm. If you feel happy, say happy. If you feel pain, say pain. But in English, we use the word feeling just as some physical sensation, like feeling, feeling tension or jerking as well. You can also say after the fact, if you realize it's happening, you go knowing. But usually there's some physical feeling even after the fact. And yeah, the disliking, of course, note it. And it's not, you don't, don't beat yourself up over not catching everything. The fact that you're noting disliking is great. I mean, that keeps you present, that gives you better perspective, it helps you see more clearly. That's all we're looking for. Don't worry about catching everything. Note what you can. But yeah, you can note the physical sensations just as feeling. Pretty good one. When noting your thoughts during meditation, how crucial is it to research the issues that trouble you, and what sources do you typically rely on for researching these issues? I don't know where you got the idea that this is somehow a part of meditation. It's not crucial at all. It's not a part of the practice. What books are you reading? I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate, but maybe... You, you, my suggestions stick to something like that. Um, no, you don't have to research issues that trouble you. Okay, well, I'm not. Maybe, maybe if I think about what you're asking, maybe. Uh, no, no, because you're asking when noting your thoughts. I don't get it. You think that you would do? Re you can't be thinking that you're doing research during the time that you're noting. When noting, I don't get how the two relate. Like if we took the second part separately, you could just take the first part off and let's say, how crucial is it to research the issues that trouble you? So, I mean, you can research the, we, we would, as a Buddhist, I would say, you know, you can research in the Buddhist teaching, read the Buddhist teaching about issues that trouble people, because that's, you know, one way of describing what the Buddha taught, issues that trouble people. So you can learn about the Buddha's take on issues that trouble people. And so, yeah, that would be the source. But it has nothing to do with noting. And really, it's not all that important. If you're practicing noting, then you're, 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 dealing, you're practicing in a way that allows you to deal with issues that trouble you. Noting is the way. Mindfulness is the way to deal with them. Recently, when I meditate at night, I have experienced unbearable fear. After my mind got calm, I felt like I dragged myself into a black space. I never experienced that type of fear in my life. Any advice? Samsara is unpredictable. Anytime you have these experiences that shock you, that, that even just seem a little bit strange, unexpected, but this is obviously very unexpected, right? Um it's an important part, it's an important uh, aspect of progress on the path to see these things, to, to appreciate how unpredictable experience is. That's all. There's nothing meaningful or deep or special about anything you experience, even something seemingly overwhelming or, or uh, 
dangerous or problematic as, as this. It actually is just fear. There's nothing special about it. But uh, experiencing these um, surprises over and over again, getting caught off guard over and over again, it, you might say, desensitizes you. But what it does is it familiar, familiarizes you with the unpredictable nature of life. And it makes you more unflappable, less perturbable, less disturbable. The Buddha said, um, when, when um, touched by the changes, the unpredictable nature of the world, the changes of the vicissitudes of life, one whose mind is unshaken, this is the highest blessing. So that's what happens by being becoming more familiar. You become flexible, better able to adapt, um, less reactionary to change. So, as with everything, the practice is to cultivate this familiarity. Okay, some unexpected un, uh, fear has arisen. Okay, I'm going to become more familiar with this unbearable fear. Okay, and you learn to bear it. You learn to say, afraid, afraid. And then when you feel calm, you have to note that as well. That, that, that can be often be a mistake, is trying to calm your mind down or waiting for your mind to get calm. Calm isn't the solution. Calm is just calm. And that's what you see. When you get calm, then you feel dragged. And, I mean, you're just getting carried away by, by your mind. You don't let that happen. When you feel calm, keep up. Say, calm, calm. When you get dragged into a black space, Seeing, seeing if you want, or quiet if it's just a, a metaphorical blackness. But yeah, things that you've never experienced before, that's an important part of the practice, an important dimension. You're going to be caught off guard, and that's the point. The point is to see how unpredictable things are, because think about how that happens in life. When you're caught off guard and you're, you're not able to adapt, you don't have the, the skill of mindfulness to adapt, you get overwhelmed, becomes unbearable. But it's bearable if you keep up. If you say, Aha, I'm going to apply the same uh, practice as with everything. You keep up and you see it as ordinary, you see it as banal, and you stay strong. Mindfulness is just keeps you safe. Asokang virajang kemang, the Buddha said, it becomes safe. I've heard you say that intoxicating substances hinder progress. Can you please explain why that is? Does noting in an intoxicated state not produce mindfulness? Well, it's not so much that noting in an intoxicated doesn't produce mindfulness. It's that it's... Um, I mean, mindfulness, is, creating this moment of noting is hard in the first place. For someone who's enlightened, there's no problem. It's not like accidentally taking intoxicating substances is going to make them revert to anger and greed and delusion. But a person who has all those things, when they get intoxicated, the difficult task of being mindful has now become almost impossible. They, they can't develop this previously undeveloped quality when they're intoxicated. So that is 
probably the biggest reason, but another important reason is the reason for taking intoxicating substances. There's two aspects to this. The state of intoxication obviously makes mindfulness, makes it, you know, order of magnitude more difficult to actually do any noting or any kind of mental activity, profitable mental activity, wholesome mental activity. But um, moreover, the intention is contrary to mindfulness, and, and that's going to, like, set your mind in the wrong direction in the first place. The whole reason for taking alcohol is to take the edge off. Well, mindfulness is actually to put that edge back on and learn to deal with it, learn to face things. Drugs, alcohol is about... Well, it's it's not it's not a, it's about not facing ordinary reality. Some drugs are for the purpose of experiencing something better, something more meaningful. That's uh, hard, problematic because uh, the the best meaning is is in the banal, in the uncontrolled ordinary state. Learning to let go rather than try to control or or condition. Is there a transition from samatha meditation to vipassana? I feel drawn in the following towards vipassana, or am I confused? I don't understand what drawn in the following means. Do you feel drawn to follow vipassana? Is that what you mean? Okay, but let's answer the first question. Is there a transition from samatha meditation to vipassana? Well, for some people, yes. In some practices, there is samatha first and then vipassana. In other practices, you just start practicing vipassana. We, in this tradition, just start practicing vipassana. Samatha as a quality of mind develops. So you have to separate these words into two distinct meanings. One meaning, as you put it, is there's samatha meditation and there's vipassana meditation. So samatha meditation is a meditation that can't give rise to clarity of mind, or can't give rise to clarity of mind in relation to uh, ultimate reality, because simply put, it doesn't take ultimate reality as an object, it takes a concept as an object. As a result, quite logically, quite simply, it can never give rise to seeing clearly about ultimate reality. I mean, that should be easy to understand. Vipassana meditation is that meditation which takes ultimate reality as an object. That Those are the meanings of these words as meditation types. As qualities of mind, they will exist together. So you can't have seeing clearly without the quality of samatha. It's just that you're not practicing what we would call samatha meditation. We call it samatha meditation because that's all it gives is samatha. What we call vipassana meditation gives both samatha and vipassana. That's the point. It doesn't give the same degree of samatha. So there's a the reason you would ever practice samatha meditation at all. I mean, it sounds like it's it's inferior, right? But it's superior in that it leads to intense samatha, intense states of tranquility. Samatha means tranquility. So there's meditations that lead to intense states of tranquility, which can then be used as a basis for seeing clearly afterwards. That's one way of practicing. Can jhanas be experienced from mindfulness? Well, the word jhana um, is used in the texts um, 
to describe two different phenomena. One is where you take an object, a single object, and you become fixed on that object, or you become focused on that object. Focused is a is a, an understatement. You become uh, in a trance-like state based on that object. But but the meaning of jhana there is you focus on it, or you're focused on it. Uh, and the other phenomena phenomenon is uh, the focus on the three characteristics. So the first type can't be. Well, okay, we can't answer that yet. So the, the second thing we have to say is when you talk about mindfulness, there are still two basic ways you can apply mindfulness. You can apply mindfulness on, you can apply mindfulness in both those ways. You can apply mindfulness to, towards this single conceptual object. Like what I mean is like a, a color. Common one would be a color, or maybe more common in the West would be a candle flame. Where you focus on a candle flame. I don't know if anyone really knows, but you probably maybe seen movies or heard about people who stare at a candle flame and they get they get fixed on the candle flame. Uh, crystal is maybe a West thing that they do in New Age meditation. They focus on a crystal. They visualize. You can visualize a crystal in your mind. It's something they do in certain meditation groups. Uh, but there's mindfulness involved. There, mindfulness would be when you say to yourself. When you see a fire and you say fire, fire, or you see white color and you say white, white, white. So you're focusing on the idea of whiteness. It's conceptual. It's something you concoct in your mind. You, you, you evoke in your mind. You visualize in your mind. But the mindfulness is the, the word mindful means we can, we can explain this word in English, even though it's not a great translation of the Pali word. It means your mind is full of the object, right? You have a fullness about, or, or a fullness in your mind of that object. There's nothing, there's no room for anything else. And that's really a good description of what sati means, even though it doesn't really translate to mindfulness. It could, if you mean mind, by mindfulness that your mind is full of the object, that, that you're just really aware of the object as it is. Um, and that's to cultivate the one type of jhana, if you focus on ultimate reality, your mind becomes full of the objects still as they are. But the thing is, those objects are slippery. They don't last. You can't fix on them. You can't enter into a trance based on them. Focusing on them instead allows you to see clearly. So the jhana that you enter into is called lakanupani jhana, seeing the characteristics or fixated on the characteristics. Because the the you're going to be full in your mind of those objects in the sense that seeing will just be seeing, and that's a full experience of seeing as seeing. No room for any judgment liking it or disliking it. Um, but it's going to be slippery, and then the next moment the seeing will be gone, and then you have to f jump to the next object that arose. When it arose, you have to fix on it. So it's a different kind of jhana. Some people... well. Some practices involve the first type, some practices involve the second type, but the texts talk about jhana as meaning two things. Sorry, there's a third type of jhana that, that is separate from those, and that's called uh, lokutra jhana, which is super mundane. So that refers to a fixed state of mind, a fixing or a meditating, on, well, jhana really means meditating, meditation, but 
it implies fixation. So you get fixed on something super mundane, i.e. Nibbana. So when the mind lets go, there's an experience of cessation that is technically called a jhana because there's no wavering, there's no movement of the mind in that state. So it's technically called a jhana as well. Bhante, we've crossed the hour and we're uh, into second tier. Do you have time to answer more questions? Well, if we've finished the first tier, I think uh, think we're good. Thank you, Bhante. Good work. Thank you all for your questions. Wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Have a good week. Sadhu.